Hello, and welcome to this Glass Tire podcast. I'm Brandon Zeck. For this episode, I talked to Johnny Mia, a sideshow banner painter and circus performer. Johnny's been in the business for a long time. He was born in 1937 in Bristol, Connecticut, and he comes from a long line of artists. He's had a career doing nearly everything you could imagine in various traveling carnivals, all the while painting the banners acts used to advertise themselves. I interviewed him while he was in Houston for an exhibition of his banners and drawings. More on that at the end of the podcast. Johnny's a bit of a character, so I'll let him introduce himself. Johnny Mia, John F. Mia, actually, Johnny Mia. And uh, I am the third uh, generation of artists in my family. My grandfather came to this country in indenturement to the silverware companies up in Connecticut as a calligrapher, designing patterns and whatnot. And then my dad was a cartoonist, and he worked for several papers. He worked multiple jobs because this is during the Second World War. I was born in 1937, and things were tight. Money was tight, so he worked uh, as a sales rep for a spring company, and right across the street, he worked as a cartoonist for the Bristol Press. Bristol, Connecticut is my hometown. And that's where I got a lot of my, my drawing, my early fascination with, with particularly pen and ink stuff. When Johnny was nine, he began doing caricatures at local fairs with his father. Since everything surrounding fairs and carnivals has to have a superlative attached to it, he was billed as the world's youngest portrait artist. During this time, Johnny became increasingly fascinated with the various circus acts and midways offered by the roving fairs. This prompted something I think you could call his origin story, an anecdote that's included in nearly every article and video about him. We were at, uh, I'm Irish by the way, so we're at a typical Irish wake up in Rhode Island, and one of my uncles, Joe Sullivan, um, had been in the business as an act, but not a circus act. It was a, a low bar act, uh, parallel bar act, uh, mostly vaudeville, burlesque, and so on. And at one of these functions, he had told my dad, he knew that I drew, and he said, oh, there's a guy that Johnny ought to meet. Who? Hugo Zucchini. Okay, who is he? Where is he? Well, Hugo Zucchini was the original human cannonball in the circus industry. Came, obviously, over with his family from Italy. Eventually, the show Hugo was traveling with, King's Brothers Circus, came into town and Johnny had a chance to meet him. The main reason for the meeting was because, in addition to his cannonball act, Hugo was also an artist. The two got on well and Johnny convinced his parents to let him travel with Hugo's act over the summer months. He was 14 at the time. During this stint, in addition to learning a lot about art, Johnny was also able to experience all of the different facets of the circus. This is when he had a realization. I decided what I wanted to be really was a clown. So I did some clowning on that show, 
and was just absolutely gaga over the subject because I like to make people laugh, I like to entertain people. Well, we did standard numbers. Uh, you know, they're pretty time-worn clown gags. But the first act that I ever did was called a table rock, which is where you build up a series of tables and a lot of fumbling and, uh, you know, missteps and so forth. Put a chair on top of the stack and then rock it back and forth until it goes over backwards and then you come out of it with a back roll. Uh, it, was, it was not really a clown act, it was a comedy act. And uh, then I learned how to juggle. Um, so this is all sort of integrated into clowning, but what I really liked was the idea of creating gags and the props and the wardrobe and, and choreographing different type of clown gags, which is ultimately what I became. When he wasn't performing acts, Johnny was painting. He completed his first banner in 1957 and was soon doing scenic work and producing pieces advertising various carnival acts, complete with over-the-top bright colors and lettering. At the time, these banners weren't considered art. Like so many elements of the traveling show, they had a necessary versatility. At times, they were used as tarps or as traction for trucks that were stuck in the mud. Because of this, they wore out fast, but that was okay because Johnny was always on hand to paint another. Making these banners was one of the ways Johnny supported himself in the circus. If you wanted to make money, you had to take advantage of everything available to help you do so. Here was the thing with learning acts. This is related to your question. The money was very tight on circuses. You didn't make much money, and particularly as a clown. So early on, I would paint these paper banners that went all around the big top that were sold by phone crews for different businesses in town. And that was pretty slapdash stuff. But, uh, but that was where a lot of my lettering uh, ability came from. And the, to get back to your original question, you had to do more than one thing. So that's where I started to learn sideshow acts like sword swallowing, fire eating, and sundry other acts. So the more you did, the more you made. Uh, I would also, for example, uh, pick up the mail for the show. You got a few pennies for all of this stuff. But, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of the acts didn't. They were pretty well uh, engrossed in whatever they did for an act. There were a lot of family acts at that time. So it wasn't, every, everybody wasn't out just hustling a buck. They were, you know, perfecting whatever they did. You sort of roll with the punches on that stuff, for example, I only did the two gardens, the old Madison Square Garden and Boston Garden on the Ringling Show because frankly the money was not good over there. But where I picked up all my pocket change was from lettering everybody's water bucket because everybody on the show had a water bucket uh, that was mostly for the road. 
and I would get, oh, I don't know, 50 cents a bucket or something. The paper banners paid about the same. And uh, so you would just push for that, but, but your head was more in, in the show. You know, I've got so many of these to do, and then when that's done, I can go put on my makeup. As you'd expect, Johnny didn't only clown and paint during his time in the circus. He learned a number of other acts, many of which you'd be familiar with if you've ever set foot in a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum. Well, uh, for a while I did pincushion, where you sew buttons on your arms, uh, pins through the arm, through the chest, and so forth, uh, which I actually started to do in a uh, now long gone place in New York called Hubert's Museum on 42nd Street. Uh, where, where it was a sideshow in the basement of an arcade. And there I did pins and what the heck else did I? I think I did Punch and Judy there. Uh, uh, Marion puppets, hand puppets, is very big in uh, origins are in England. And it's uh, uh, hand puppets that the uh, Judy is always the butt of the joke, and Punch was a sort of a demonic little imp of a character. Um, and there was God knows how many characters in the original Punch and Judy. There was a cop, there was a, an alligator that ate him, on and on. But I learned that from a magician that was working in Hubert's. And let's see, how did I support myself? Well, we didn't make much down there in the basement either. So at the minute we closed there, which is usually about midnight or 11.30, I would run up into Times Square and I worked for a guy named Maxie Sohn doing names on hats, on the, on the rim of a hat, uh, embroidering names. and. Uh, uh, many, many nights I remember just going to sleep on boxes of hats under the counter. Uh, the best part of that was it was right next to the Metropole that had the best jazz artists in the world at that time. And I got to, didn't see them, but I sure could hear them through the walls. While Johnny was developing his acts, simultaneously, he was creating his own distinct style of banner painting. Since he came of age in the carnival, he had a long line of predecessors to draw from, and he particularly admired the works of Snap Wyatt and Fred Johnson, two banner painters who were especially active from the 1930s through the 60s. One of the things Johnny wanted to get away from was the stiff, formulaic way certain banners looked, characters striking staccato poses in a stage set. And I started to think, my God, there's, there's more situations uh, that I could put these people in. For example, uh, a human blast furnace blasting a fireball through a, in a factory, a steel wall. And, uh, and uh, there wasn't too much dictating by the customers. They, I would get a list, for example, as like a laundry list. Fire eater, uh, snake charmer, this, that, and the other thing. Usually eight, ten of them for that many banners. And they weren't saying, uh, 
you know, specifics. I did a little portraiture on some of them on the human oddities, but um, it wasn't heavily dictated, so I, I could just do about whatever I jolly well wanted to do and did, and, and my work became early on fairly popular for that reason, because it wasn't just like all the other manners. I also talked to Johnny about what life was like in traveling carnivals, particularly how the culture was among the performers and various other people on the road. All big shows had an absolute caste system. Uh, there was a lot of bigotry around the shows. Uh, that, that, that actually superseded the caste system item. Uh, the sideshow is an example. One of the stock interview questions is, well, what was it like working with those people? Like there were some horror story group of people. And I said, well, you'd see them first for whatever their deformity was, and then you would see them as a good person or a not very good person. Uh, so that, that's about the way I handle life in general. But it was different, you know, it was just different people. That's why people went to sideshows. I, I had a girlfriend one time, we were having one of these pseudo in-depth conversations about why, why do people go to sideshows? And she was cooking something, standing off to the side, and she said, don't you? And we were going through some pretty heavy-duty Freudian stuff, and she said, don't you know why people go to sideshows? And I said, no, enlighten us. She said, because they think they feel they belong there. It's they're at home there. <laughs> and it was true in many cases. Some of Johnny's paintings play against the stereotype of what carnival banners are. For example, he told me about one of his favorite drawings that someone commissioned from him. I didn't feel anybody would really get it. And the title of the thing was Them. That was in the title ribbon. And the picture, the, the, the banner, was done with the perspective of from behind the platform or stage with the, with the axe on stage and making fun of the audience, you know, pointing, oh, take a peek at this one. Oh, my goodness, you know. Um, and it was done in diminishment all the way out to the very front of the show where you could see the talker out there with a the girl on the ballet platform. So we used to, we used to cut up the audiences, you know. <laughs> and, the concept behind this piece feels like it comes from a deep-seated camaraderie that Johnny experienced and was a part of during his carnival days. He says that, while everything wasn't always peachy keen, the acts and the sideshow performers especially had an equality where each person had their own role in making sure the show ran smoothly. And while now, when we look back, it's pretty obvious that the people who were called human oddities were exploited because of their handicaps and deformities, Johnny says that at the time, the sideshow was an outlet for these people, giving them jobs and a community full of kinship and support they wouldn't otherwise have had. For example, Johnny talks of Gibsonton, Florida, a small town that was established by two sideshow performers. And they found this beautiful little place on the banks of a river where they could park their trailer and he liked the fish and so forth. 
And after they have been there for part of a winter, a lot of other people who were basically sideshow people discovered where they were and they started to move there. And at one time, I would say 50% uh, of the well-known human oddities in the business lived there. And it was, it was the camaraderie of the whole thing. There, nobody made fun of them or anything else. I mean, they're well used to be looking at, looked at, but they were in their own little group. They all knew each other. And, uh, and Gibsonton, sadly, is uh, pretty well over now because there's so little of the business left. But that was a good example of fellowship or camaraderie. You have a showman's club there. Everybody, uh, a lot of other show people besides sideshow people that live there. But it was, it was sort of an insulation almost against them. As the years passed, Johnny did notice changes happening in the carnival. He saw people's interest in the sideshow dissipate and recounted a story that, pretty succinctly, explains one of the possible reasons why. Uh, we're playing Dallas, Texas, the State Fair, at where we did 16, 17 shows a day, and I was doing three acts on the show, by the way. And we get a break where somebody else had covered for me, and I went up the midway to get a coffee. Coming back, there is this little boy uh, tugging on his dad's pants and imploring him to buy tickets to go and see all these wonderful things that were pictorialized outside. And of course, I, I passed that one in and went back to work. So I was changing platforms inside, uh, going from one part of the show to another. And I happened to notice Dad and the little boy there. And the little boy is tugging on Dad's pants saying, can we go back outside and look at the pictures? Because they were better than the show. If anything, Johnny's anecdote speaks to the ability art has to completely capture hold of us. I talked to Johnny on the occasion of an exhibition of his works at Bill's Drunk in Houston. Organized by Jay Waynard of Intuitive Eye and Jack Massing, the show includes both Johnny's banners and his preparatory drawings, many of which are beautiful pen and ink sketches. The show runs from May 25th to June 8th of 2018. I'll leave you now with some parting words from Johnny. By and large, I love what I do, and uh, I only stopped performing a few years ago, but, uh, but I love to create things. I write, I paint these banners, and uh, it, it, when I get up in the morning, if I've got some project where I can use my imagination and the end result is somebody is going to look at it and enjoy it. That, that's all I want. <laughs>